It's so good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Today we are looking at our message, which is entitled Seated at the Right Hand, and we're talking about the ascension of Christ. Now, there's been a few, uh, a few weeks have passed since uh, the 40 days after the resurrection when you would normally consider the ascension, and um, that just happened sometimes, so I wasn't here, but this is what happened. Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, on the third day he rose again from the dead, and then he spent 40 days on the earth with his disciples, and at the end of the 40 days, he ascended into heaven. And it's the ascension that I want to look at this morning. And I'm, I'm amazed every time I study the ascension or consider it some more, uh, the impact that it has on me. And today our focus is going to be on prayer. So the ascension paves the way for the answer to all our prayers. So like I said, this was pretty impactful to me, but um, we'll see as we go through it. Uh, hopefully you will see it as well. Now, when we consider ascending or the ascension of Jesus, what's happening is he is ascending from this earth and he is going to sit at the right hand of the Father. So he is ascending to the throne. And this is not an uncommon theme or idea in Scripture. As a matter of fact, if we look at some of the uh, more prominent kings, we will see this. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. In Job chapter 36, verse 7, it says, He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings. For he has seated them there, seated them forever, and they are exalted. Uh, by the way, this verse in Job, Job is older. He is before the kings. And so this is a pretty stark and phenomenal verse concerning the righteous sitting on the throne. This is pretty amazing since it goes back so far. But what it meant for a king to sit on the throne, it meant that he was the ruler and that his rule was established before the people. So he establishes his rule, he goes and he sits on the throne, and then he proceeds to reign. And this is what we are considering when we consider the ascension of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the ascension of Jesus is the most important ascension that we find in the Bible because he is the king of kings. Amen? and the Lord of lords. And so it is uh, natural or normal or the expectation that we might have as his people that he would ascend and that he would sit on the throne, establishing himself as the ruler and establishing himself as the king. So turn with me. There are three passages I want us to turn to. And the first one is Acts Acts chapter 1. And this is where we find the actual account of the ascension of Jesus. So Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 9 through 11, and this is the first of three passages that I would like to turn to, so have your Bibles ready. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now that's the account of the actual ascension. When we re- and when we read that, we're not really struck with the significance of what it meant that he ascended into heaven. It's almost as if it just kind of passes over this whole period of time from when he ascends to when, hey, look, you saw him go up. Now, get what? Get 
uh, get ready. Guess what? He's coming back in the same way. So it kind of goes from his first, from the first ascension back to his second coming. It just kind of skips everything in between. So from this account, we don't quite see the significance of the ascension. It is not until we read some other passages that the impact of him ascending into heaven and sitting on the throne really is made clear to us. So let's go to the second passage. It's Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 30. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 30. So this is Peter in his uh, sermon in chapter 2 here on the day of Pentecost. It says, Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Now you see it right there? Here it says he was raised up, and that's what we normally talk about, the resurrection. But he was raised up in order to sit on the throne. So the resurrection is for the purpose of him sitting or being established or uh, uh, seating at the right, seated at the right hand of the Father. He would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God. And there it is. That's the, the ascension to the throne. The right hand of God. Being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. What a powerful passage. Let's turn to the third one here, and that's Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, to read this other passage concerning the ascension to the throne of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 19 through 23. So Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, there's the resurrection, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so this is the significance of the resurrection as we see in these verses. So we consider the earthly kings, they went and sat on the throne, and of course that becomes a type pointing us towards Jesus, the ultimate king who sits on the ultimate throne in heaven. And so this is very significant. Now as a matter of fact, it is so significant if we consider the events of Jesus' ministry. Now this is an insert in your bulletin if you look at the top part of the your bulletin there. This is just for information purposes because I'm not going to have a chance to go through all of these. But normally we'll talk about the first three. He was born, he died, and he rose again from the dead, right? That, that is kind of where we focus the work of Jesus when we talk about those three things. But that was just kind of the beginning of things. So, Jesus ascended. He sat at the right hand of the Father. He received the Holy Spirit and poured it out upon his people. That's us. He 
placed all things under his feet, particularly all spiritual things. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus intercedes for the church. Jesus reigns until he conquers every enemy. All of that follows his ascension to the throne of the Father. It follows that when he rose and he ascended and he sat down on the throne to rule and to reign, these are the things that take place or have taken place after that event. And so we see this remarkable ministry of Jesus that goes beyond his earthly ministry here. Now, as we consider Jesus, there are three things that sitting on the throne means for him. So when we consider the roles that Jesus plays from the right hand of the Father, we see three things. First of all, he is the king, and that's kind of the obvious one. So Jesus ascends to the throne. He sits down as the king of kings. But not so obvious are these other two, maybe. So the second thing that he does from the throne is he acts as savior. And for this, I'd like to read to you, and you can just listen. Acts chapter 5, verse 31, it says this. Him, Jesus, God exalted to his right hand to be prince, that's king, and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus rising to the throne, he sits as savior, And because he sits on the throne as Savior, you and I have received the forgiveness of sins. Now, of course, that reaches back to his death on the cross and the shedding of his blood and the resurrection of the dead, but we need to talk a little bit more. It also includes the ascension and the seating down at the right hand of the Father on the throne. So this is significant. And then the third thing that Jesus does as sitting on the throne, is that he acts as high priest, as high priest. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. And so here's Jesus, he rose, he ascended, and he sat on the throne to act as a high priest. And of course, he acts as a high priest for you and for me, among other things. Now, there's the other part of your handout. This is the bottom page, the bottom part of the page on the handout. This is the significance of the ascension. Um, I could talk about any one of these things. And in the past, I've kind of gone through this list when talking about the ascension. So you can read some of the significances here of the ascension. He ascended to free the captives. He ascended to establish the forgiveness of sins. He ascended to send the Holy Spirit. He ascended to establish the church. He ascended to prepare a place for us. He ascended to reign over us. And this last one, he ascended to intercede for us. And it's this last one that I want to spend a little bit of time uh, on this morning. He ascended to intercede for us. That means Jesus is on the throne interceding to the Father on our behalf. Now there is no greater advocate than that we could have than Jesus Christ sitting on the throne whispering into the Father's ear, he is mine. That's an amazing truth, amazing reality. And it is the basis for the salvation that we have and the hope of eternal life that we have. It is because he sits on the throne interceding for us. And that brings us to our point here. The ascension paves the way 
for the answer to all our prayers. Now, I have to say, I've been a Christian for quite some time now, and um, I've read many books on prayer and, prayer, and I've heard many sermons on prayer, and I've just been exposed to a lot of prayer. I've talked a lot about prayer. I've prepared lessons and sermons and all kinds of things on prayer. And we all, if we've been a Christian for any period of time, we all have heard about prayer. I mean, we all know about prayer. We all know we're supposed to pray, and we can go to pray to God. But I tell you what, having looked at it from the angle, the idea of prayer from the angle that Christ is on the throne interceding for me, has really made an impact on me and on my thinking concerning prayer. So we look at a verse, and here's a powerful verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 34, and this is the one that we might turn to that talks about him interceding for us. It says in Romans eight thirty-four, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So again, this is a powerful truth that Jesus is interceding for you and for me. If you are a believer this morning, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you have confessed your sins and you have resolved to walk after him, if that is you this morning, if you believe in Jesus Christ, he is interceding for you. Not the person next to you only, but you. Sometimes I think we leave ourselves out of it and we feel like Elijah did all alone, but we are not alone. Not only is he with us, but he is interceding for us. Not only is he standing there in our presence, uh, in proximity to us, but he is advocating for us. He is interceding for us. And so a few verses uh, from this one, we have that great promise that he works all things out for good to those who love him and who are called according to his promise. Of course, he works all things out for good because he is there praying for us. What an amazing thing. So we come to this idea of intercessory prayer, and we have Jesus sitting on the throne, interceding or offering up prayers for us. Now, now this is where it becomes really interesting, and I have to go back to Exodus chapter 30, and this is uh, back when Aaron was priest and Moses was uh, leading the people. It says in Exodus chapter 30, verse 8, it says, when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. So anyway, I thought this was really interesting, you know, the idea of incense. I've always hated incense. Anybody with me on that? I mean, like, it always just stank. I could not stand incense. So anyway, I went out and got some incense anyways. So it's just like a it would have been a simple thing. Maybe in the temple it would have been a little bit more elaborate, but uh, they would light some incense. We don't really practice incense uh, burning here, and I'm glad for that. This is like a cinnamon uh, incense, but if I didn't know it was cinnamon, I wouldn't be able to tell. I mean, it just, just does not smell like that to me, and I probably lit a little bit more than we might uh, normally light, but uh, you have this incense, and while it might not be so important to us, we might go for scented candles a little bit uh, you know, quicker than we might to the incense, but maybe there's not too much difference. It's not so important to us, but in Israel, this was very important. So you had the temple or the tabernacle, and the tabernacle and the temple had two rooms in it. 
You had the holy place, which was the larger room, and then you had the holy of holies, which was the smaller room, and that was where the Ark of the Covenant was, which represented the presence of God. So that was the tabernacle or the temple. So you had these two chambers, and between the two chambers was this really thick curtain. And the curtain was meant to prevent access from the holy place to the holy of holies. You had this thick curtain. And in the holy place, before the thick curtain, you had an incense altar. And two times a day, they would go into the holy place to make sure the incense was lit. This was in the temple. This is what God had prescribed. It was a very important thing. Now, the incense, it was just a uh, concoction of spices here. Uh, Verse 34 says, the Lord has given instructions to Moses, take some sweet spices, stacti and onica and galbanum and pure frankincense. With these sweet spices, there shall be an equal amount of each. So this was kind of the formula for creating this incense, and they would lift, they would light this incense, and it would be burning before the the veil there. Now, okay, so that's good. That's the temple. But this idea of incense just continues to crop up within Scripture. And in Psalm 141, verse 2, just to give you an example, it says, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And so you have this connection that is made between incense and prayer. Incense and prayer. Now, if we go to Revelation chapter 5, and let me read to you Revelation chapter 5. You can turn with me. It's the last book of the Bible, so you should be able to find it pretty easy, although the index might confuse, confuse you. No, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, towards, it's right at the end. You know that. Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 8 says, When he opened Jesus, the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, I'm reading Revelation chapter 8, so let me turn to Revelation chapter 5 myself. Hey, I'm a guy just like you, right? Revelation chapter 5, sorry about that, beginning in verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne." Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Now look what it says next. Which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song and so on. So Jesus is worthy. He takes the scroll and you have... All of these angelic beings, this host, they are taking this incense, these bowls full of incense, and the incense, these bowls of incense, are the prayers of the saints. So again, we have a connection between the incense and the prayers. And then, Revelation chapter 8, 
Sorry about that. I got ahead of myself. Got real excited, right? You know, I just can't wait to get to this part because this is the number one part here. He opened the seventh seal. Verse 2, I saw the seven angels. They were given seven trumpets. Verse 3, another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. Now, now here it is, our first point concerning this. So, so we look at this, and we look at this incense, and the smoke of the incense is rising. And so this incense symbolizes the prayer of the prayers of the people. And so here we are, we're offering our prayers, and it is like incense rising before God. So it's like God is sitting on the throne, and you have this, the incense, the smoke of the incense rising, and he's smelling it. And it blesses him. He is pleased. And this is the prayers of the saints. Our prayers are pleasing to him. It is not for any other purpose so far than to please God. And so when we consider praying, and when we consider the importance of it, here it goes. We pray to please God. We pray to please God. Our prayer is like an offering of incense before him, and he is pleased by it. So every time you pray, he smiles. Every time we pray again, he smiles again. It is like incense before him. And so let us, church, pray. Let us pray a lot Let us pray more than we pray now. Let us pray without ceasing, because every time we pray, he is pleased. And that should make us happy, right? That's right. But wait a minute. And here's our second point, a future answer. I am so happy God is pleased, but look, when I pray, I am hoping beyond hope that God is going to answer me and do something in my life, right? Am I alone on that? I mean, can you relate? I'm so glad, God, you're happy. And Lord, forgive me if I'm disrespectful at this point. I don't mean to be, but I'm so happy. You're happy. But when I pray, I want an answer. And I want it now. Part of our struggle in the Christian life is that our answers, there's a future aspect to it. That's hard. That's hard for us. That means I've got to be patient, I've got to persevere, I've got to keep on having faith. I might shed some more tears, I might be sorrowful and disheartened, but I've got to keep on going because my prayer is not answered today, there's a future answer coming down the road. But yet, even though the answer is not coming, he is still pleased and he is saving every single prayer that we pray. Not one prayer that we pray as a saint of God, not one prayer that we pray to him will go unanswered. And we're going to see that in a moment. And so our hope is that there is a future answer coming to our prayers, a time in which he will wipe away every single, what? Tear. In that day, our prayer will be answered. It will be answered fully. And that brings us to the third point this morning about prayer. It is pleasing to God, so do it. There's a future answer, so keep on going. Have faith in him. And when he does answer, 
it will be an amazing, powerful impact. The prayer, the answers to our prayers will, uh, are, will be culminated in the accomplishing of the purposes of God. Now we pray for help, and now we pray for justice, and now we pray for deliverance, and now we pray for healing, and now we pray for provision. And each one of those prayers that we're praying, we are crying out to God to make things right, to make things like they should be. So going back to Revelation chapter 8, beginning of verse 3, it says, Then another angel having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer. He took the censer. He filled it with fire from the altar. And he threw it to the earth. And there were, what does it say? Thunderings and noises and lightnings and an earthquake. That's baby powder, by the way. (laughs) Man, that stuff is a mess. I tell you what. I've got it on my hands, and it's not going to come off until I put some water to it, because there's no wiping it. If I just wipe it, it just spreads, you know, and grows. So the bidlers, at least you'll smell good going home. You know, Heather will say, hey, you got to smell good today. All right, just baby powder there. But notice, the censer, the incense, the prayers is mixed with the fire from the altar. It is cast to the earth, and now, all of a sudden, on the earth, there are noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. The seven angels prepare to blow the trumpets. Because with the blowing of the trumpets and with what comes next, you have the judgment of God upon this earth for all of the injustices that have ever taken place. For all of the unanswered prayers that we have prayed. There they are. They are cast back to the earth and God does something remarkable with it. And so, what does that mean for us? I want us to turn to uh, or consider uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. This is Jesus. He speaks a parable. He says to them, Men, that men always ought to pray and not to lose heart. And really, this is kind of the heart of the message here. There There is our prayers that are pleasing to God, and that alone should just motivate us to pray more, to pray without ceasing. They are pleasing to God, but... None of those prayers, none of our prayers go unheeded. None of our prayers as saints or children of God are wasted, not a single one. They are reserved in this bowl as incense, and one day he's going to put the fire to it, and he's going to cast it to the earth, and things are going to begin to unfold in a way that is right and positive for us. We will be blessed. So God will be glorified as we pray. We will be blessed, and therefore let us be comforted because Christ right now is interceding for you and for me. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for what you have done for us. You went to the cross. You shed your blood. You rose again from the dead. You forgave us of our sins. 
You ascended to the throne. You sat down as king and as savior and as high priest for us. You intercede for us. All of our prayers are before you. And we look forward to the day in which you will answer every single one. All praise belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.